tonight we're going to talk about This Side of Paradise. It's a little bit of a redo um, for the overall podcast because Andy and myself recorded one of these many, many years ago. Probably, probably one of the first ones we ever talked about before we got Eric and Rob involved. So we thought it was a good idea to go back and revisit. It's as we were just talking about offline here. Uh, you know, it's going going on nine, ten years. So it's probably time to talk about this one again, and it's worth talking about. So, um, Rob, why don't you get us started with an opener on this one? What do you think? Sure, I think this is a a very good episode that engages with some of the the great themes of Star Trek. Um, in a really interesting way, and it has some great character interactions too. I do have a, I have a bone to pick with this episode for the way that they, the crew, uh, or actually solves the problem or doesn't solve the problem. Um, but it's uh, this episode sets up the mystery really well. I think they establish that they, the screw should be dead. They do it really well. It's um, it's intriguing, but all and and so the the community down on the planet. Is introduced in a very, it's set up in a very kind of eerie way, um, and so I like that part. That part of the episode for me is especially strong um, when they're when McCoy is investigating their medical history, and I just like that stuff. I think it's it's really solid, and it um, you know shows the crew working really well together, and um, and then the <laughs> um, and then of course it's a great Spock episode because it gives Nimoy a chance to let his the, the you know his emotions run run wild and so there's some really fun scenes with yeah so you get, and you get to see Nimoy uh, Nimoy's acting chops which are really strong I think so I love those scenes with him I think he he handles it really well um, and so I guess I'll I'll get to it and then and then pass the baton to you guys but my my sort of main problem with this episode is that Kirk is some for some reason unaffected which is a little a little puzzling in the first place. I in in the shot where he's with the others, he's standing further back. So apparently the spores don't travel very far. But so that's I have a little trouble with that, but I can get past that. But then the way that that Kirk actually solves the problem doesn't it doesn't I understand they try to set it up. They show him packing and they they show him in that scene. He look he's looking at his metal and but it just the fact that he just suddenly gets angry and says I'm not, I don't want to go, I shouldn't go, or whatever it is that he says. I can't leave. I can't leave. It, it, it feels like spontaneous anger. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to have any cause, and so therefore it's, it's almost like Kirk is a, super, a superhero who just basically wills himself to overcome the influence of these. And I don't like episodes in which Kirk is portrayed basically as superhuman and is able to, through, through sheer willpower, is able to transcend the, the weaknesses of, the, of ordinary mortals. So... I'm going to Go take ahead. issue with that, Rob, Please. because um, as we saw in the Naked Time uh, and even and other episodes as well, Kirk is not to put too fine a point on it. Kirk is in love with his ship. He's in love with the Enterprise. He, uh, in fact, he's almost obsessed uh, with his own with his captaincy and with his his ship. And when he is affected by the spores it's uh it's a matter of him being when he looks at his metal when that that brings home to him what he's doing he's leaving his ship forever he'll never be able to go back and that's what 
fosters these very strong emotions which are known to known to kill the spores or that he deduces kills the spores so i mean you know in a very real way he was uh confronted with the idea of divorcing himself from his ship so to speak and that understandably caused a very strong reaction yeah actually i i'm eric i'm glad you pointed that out because that that's the obvious to me um counterpoint to what rob brought up and it's i i think what i would criticize in that is that it kind of it 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 really um assumes that you know quite a bit about kirk yeah about his about his psychological makeup and that I, you know, it seems like in in isolation, it seems like a bit of a leap, mm-hmm. and that it does seem very miraculous that he 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 does suddenly do that, and that he goes from blissful contentedness to um, all out, all out anger and stuff like that. And yeah, so I, I, I you know, it, it's a little bumpy, but that's that's how I always have read it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, yeah, you do just then. The only other assumption is that Kirk is superior. Yeah. And that that then Rob, I would agree with you in in that is that that's that's something that um, is less desirable for the character if if he's like that and it and e- even after you know Spock who actually tries to fight it off because of his Vulcan Vulcan mind it does uh, you know and and Kirk Kirk does and so yeah. But in general, yeah, that I, Eric, I, I kind of on your side on this. I think it's uh, it's okay. Again, we have so much background with the characters that we just oh, of course, Kirk loves his ship. Yeah, and and in his command, as you as, as you said, and that that's something that the idea would be like leaving his wife. Yeah, yeah. And that that before he presses the button, it's like my you know, holy shit, what am I doing? Yeah. And all that kind of, especially especially with the 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 setup where he's the last one on board, he can't come back. Right. And all Unless he were to take a shuttlecraft down, but <laughs> they didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Apparently, um, the spores also turned them into idiots. But okay. Whatever. Well, yeah, that's something true. When when you mentioned uh, Rob uh, about disliking when Kirk is portrayed as a superhero, that uh, you know he was just miraculously able to resist the spores influence for no apparent reason. Um, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, so if you'll indulge me. Uh, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, one of the things that always stuck in my craw, has always stuck in my craw, is the fact that Faramir is portrayed as having some superhuman resistance to the influence of the ring. You know, Elrond, Galadriel his own brother, Gandalf, none of them can resist the influence. I mean, they, they forcibly have to drag themselves away from its allure, but Faramir, for some inexplicable reason, is just basically immune to it, and that's never explained. So I sympathize with that sentiment. And you think that's that's because of his character, not because he possesses some sort of... I mean, we are talking about a fantasy universe rather than a science fiction universe, though, too. Well, even so, I, it, however you slice it, regardless of the genre, the uh, the point is that you show a character who is somehow immune to some overwhelming effect 
and you never explain it. So I'm just. I'm not. I, I mean, that, it's it's not it's not a huge deal. I think it just it's something that stuck out this time, and I you know, and then you have to wonder like, well, all the years that the that the colonists have been on the planet, nobody ever dropped a hammer on his foot and got mad, or you know, or <laughs> yeah. Nobody else in the entire enterprise got angry at some point during this whole. Well, maybe maybe you this the spores prevent you from feeling the pain. Well, or the, embar- or the embarrassment. Or the embarrassment. <laughs> but but you know that just made me think of something that could completely undermine the plot of this episode. Careful. It's not. Yeah, I know. It's not just anger. Both Kirk and Spock say it's strong emotion, strong feelings. Mm-hmm. Did Spock not evince passion yeah. for Layla? Well, I think didn't he? Didn't they sort of qualify it as strong negative feelings? But I, I mean, that's, that's how I took it. I don't. That's a I good don't point. Know literally, that's what he said. But well, if that's true, then oh, maybe. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> it, it would be a huge hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My my quick overall view on this one is again you guys all have really good points it's a great character episode um it's also another um one of these shows where you where they they kind of touch on um drug addiction and things like that oh yeah um you you could argue yeah so that that's always interesting i'm sure that consciously or not was was it was in the mind of the writers on the show Mm-hmm. And um, you know the fact that they they really you know for example when um, Sandoval snaps out of it at the end he he has this you know look of regret like wow I've just been you know high for how many years and not done anything for example like they only they only make enough food to sustain themselves they just kind of you know get along okay but they're 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 you know strung out on spores <laughs> is, is the way way you could put it. So I, I think you could. That's something fun to read into. Um, Nimoy is great in this one, and it, yeah. it struck me just now that um, if you were watching these in broadcast order, well, coming up next is another Nimoy powerhouse episode, "The Devil in the Dark." Yeah. So which is interesting that uh, he had two very prominent feature episodes in a row. So I don't know it, if uh, what a, the production good, good order run was, for him, but yeah, probably did not exactly the same, but. Um, what did you guys think uh, to run back a little bit? One, one thing that I always giggle a little bit at is the the way that the music score is used in this one. There, there's the very heavy use of the little Eric Wood whistle it for us. I'm sure whistle. And, uh, yeah, yep, the little flute theme, uh, the 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 Spock love theme or whatever it, you might call it that that's going. And it, it, it's you've got the uh, the the really. You know, boom, 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 music yeah. going when, when he's trying to fight it. And then, like, all of a sudden, there's an edit, and it's like, la, 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 la. And it's like, oh, I'm okay now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it, I it, want... it just really jumps it's out very, at me. It's, and very it's like, abrupt. oh, well, yeah. we know what's going on now, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> it makes me wonder, um, because, you know, the counterpoint to that very sweet, lilting uh, love theme, I think that was... Uh, written for this episode, I'm not sure. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. But the counterpoint to that is—I well, think it wasn't it also used in um, Shore Leave. 
Uh, yeah, when, yeah, when, with Ruth and all that. Yeah, yeah uh, and I don't know which one was produced first, but in, in any case, uh, the counterpoint to that is the kind of macabre alien music that actually was written for the Cage. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it's really the criticism is just the the very abrupt mood change that it that it that it forces upon the audience which is extremely unsubtle. Well, it was and uh I just rewatched this about an hour ago and I actually found myself getting a little bit tired of the uh the macabre alien cue. They they did overuse it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um one kind of niggling detail that uh I noticed in this one is that uh when Spock is analyzing their crops uh, he comments about there are no animals, and he also says there are no insects. <laughs> I know, that that's a head-scratcher, actually. Yeah, especially because um, I'm not a farmer, of course, but <laughs> it seems to me that there is a, actually a crisis right now because uh, a certain insect or a certain family of insects is uh, endangered. Hymenoptera, bees... Yeah. Don't bees play a very important part in pollinating crops? Well, not with Starfleet's GMO crops. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's okay. Right. I'm sorry. I sort um, of assumed uh, yeah. that the spores took care of that stuff. Like, they kind of, just like they keep the humans healthy and, yeah, and perfect. Yeah, they're a good uh, deus ex machina for that. Too. I don't know. I, I One <laughs> of the things that, um, what is it? Oh, that, that I, I'm reminded of, uh, for better or worse, in this episode is a long time ago, in the 80s, I think, um, William Shatner was on an episode of Saturday Night Live, and he's in a skit where he's at a con- fan convention. Oh, yes. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. Get yeah. a life! Well, he says get a life, yeah, but what, what, what are the, the, before, he, before he has a little breakdown, one of the, one, one of the, Dana Carvey or somebody like that, I don't remember who, who the, the, the person, the cast member was, but, you know, he, he, he goes, in this episode, blah, 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 and you, you open the safe in your quarters. What was the combination? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I always, that, I just think of that every time I see Shatner pressing those four little buttons to open his safe. You think about that, that's funny. And I think, what was the combination? <laughs> that also makes me think of Galaxy Quest when they're at that Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but speaking of funny things, it's the episode has lots of great lines. Um, all all the characters have <laughs> fun things. Um, George Takei d- does some really funny, funny acting and stuff when when he gets infected by the spores. And um, McCoy, of course, get gets to don his Georgia accent. Yeah, which is which is fun. And I'd like to see how fast I can put you in the hospital. I love that line. <laughs> I I just I I just one of the best things about this uh, is is getting them to, to open up like that. And yeah, in in a way, it's 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 much more um, successful in that way than like the naked time is. Yeah, I mean it's not not the same effect, but um, if if you want an episode where you've got characters. Just, just acting, you know, out of the ordinary things like that. This episode actually works better for me that way. Mm-hmm. It's not quite, quite as over the top. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say about it is that the very end of the episode, where where Spock says, "You know, for the first time, I was happy." Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's that's very touching. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's actually very significant. Um, and it, whoever put that in there, you know, that 
it was a great ending for the episode. Gave it a little bittersweet, you know, especially after Kirk does his usual little. We we walked out on our own of paradise business mm-hmm. that he likes to do, and so that that's like yeah, but there was a cost. You know, there's a, it's a, surprising to me. I was going to mention that too. That that was one thing that I liked about this episode is, um, well, both there were two things about it that were interesting. I mean, one is that Kirk is so anti paradise, you know, anti like you know this sort of happiness, and you know, but contrast this with um, Who Mourns for Adonis, where at the end he says. Could we have not gathered a few olive leaves? You know, whatever he's he's sort of <laughs> yeah. expressing a little bit of of under sympathy and understanding. You know, with this, and, and I can understand why Kirk would be more would be less sympathetic to this because his personality is so you know drive forward progress and mm-hmm. and um, but it's so it's really nice that they, that Spock is balancing that. I think it's it's a real strength. And this episode compared to Archons, you know, is. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, there's, there's a parallel with the ending of, of Archons because Spock says something like, "You know, the 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 world that that Landrew provided was safe and secure, or something like that." And you, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yes, definitely. Where he does, so Spock sort of not acknowledges the appeal of of this very orderly society, and so he sort of is the one who expresses the the other side of it. Well, it, it's interesting because um, Spock. It, it probably was understanding of it more in Archons as a uh, possible uh, logical orderly society where emotions and stuff are, are kept under control. Like the Red Hour is the one time they're allowed to open it up, just like you know he, the, the Vulcans you know only go crazy once every seven years or whatever. Yeah, so there's kind of a parallel there. It's like yeah, I can understand how this would be attractive, at, you know, to have a society like this where every, everything is under control. Where in this case it was almost the opposite, mm-hmm. where it's like the, the this is, yeah I uh, in, in this in this in this in this particular society uh, I actually got to have emotions and I don't you get laid <laughs> yeah exactly late, yeah. one more than once every seven years. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you talking about Rob in Return of the Archons where he says he finds the checks and balances of this society most illuminating? Is that what you're talking about, or have I got the wrong episode? No, it's, um, ah, you know what, that, that one I don't, that doesn't sound, um, okay. it's something, I think it's in the going out of orbit exchange where he says, oh, ta- yeah, okay. Yeah, so he says, how often mankind has wished for a world as peaceful and secure as the one Landrew provided. And Kirk and says, then, we never got it, just lucky, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Typical. So it's actually, it's a little bit less of a you know, a personal sort of, like, it's, it's, I mean, it's very, like you, you guys said, it's very powerful for Spock to say, that, well, it's the only time I was ever happy, guys, so. Oh, you know. So um, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, so shut the fuck up. It's not being so triumphalist. I, I've got, I've got a, a joke for you. I'm sure you'll get it. We uh, just got a new grocery store here uh, in Madison. It's called Festival. And we were driving by it one time. And I, I, told, I told Charlotte, hey, you know what would be a great ad? It's bread hour at festival. <laughs> and she, she didn't just get looked it? at me. Did she get it? <laughs> she didn't no. get it. Oh, oh well, that's probably good, Eric. <laughs> yeah. That's well, great. and I told you the one about how I was uh, had thought about uh, Rob for your wedding, getting uh, getting you his and her bath towels that said Morg and I Morg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's great. You know, uh, 
Somebody should make that. <laughs> Seriously. That, that'd that go great on uh, ThinkGeek. Exactly. Yeah, but if they you know haven't what? done it already, they should do you it. Could, yeah. You could sell it, Eric. Oh, man. Hey. Get on there right now and patent it or copyright it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how I would do that. Well, anyway, sorry, guys. Um, you know, one... Uh, <laughs> if we had any listener, listeners, I'd worry about somebody stealing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of the things that bothers me about this episode and we're already kind of talking about it, is that when when Kirk is talking about, you know, we can't stroll to the music of the lute, we must march to the beat of drums, in my original written review of this episode, I questioned why that is, why that is accepted or put forth as a truism, that, you know, we, we, we're not meant for this, you know, we haven't done anything. Well, yes, you have done something, Sandoval. You've lived in peace and and harmony, and you know, apparently been a giant love fest. And you know, why why is that a bad thing? Why do you ha- why is it necessary to do more than that? Yeah, it's um, it's true. It's a, it's a it's a, it's back back to the mission or or, or you know, building something that that's beyond yourself and all that. Apparently, you can probably just lump it all into uh, Gene Roddenberry's uh, Federation and Starfleet and their ethos. Mm. Well, I think it's also, uh, if you want to look more broadly, and we're talking about 1966, right? I mean, this was... The script script could have been written earlier, but it's also, if you think about it, it's through the 60s lens, which I like to all the time, is that it's a hit on on, uh, commune life. You know, it's a the the countercultural idea that that if we just retreat, um, we can live in peace and harmony. Yeah, that's true. And There's a lot of language in in the in the script that that talks about we have we have uh, everything we uh, need. There, it's a true Eden gym. Yeah. Um, things like that. They all wear the same jumpsuits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, well, that's very comrade like. Have, have you guys, either or both of you, have you read uh, Stranger in a Strange Land? I haven't read it, no. I should probably should, No, though. I guess I haven't either. Um, that's, uh, it's a Heinlein, and it, it tackles some of these questions, and it seems so paradoxical, because for both Heinlein and Roddenberry, uh, they're both ex-military, which I'm sure informed their attitudes and opinions uh, quite heavily. Well, Star Trek, it, you know, evinces that quite a bit but um so you have that on the one hand but on the other hand you see at least in places sympathy with and for the counterculture and even uh acting as proponents of it in a in a way and i don't know it just seems dichotomous to me that that you know that it's a kind of cognitive dissonance, it seems, that you would, on the one hand, propose or promote in even a backhanded way the countercultural, hippie, whatever you want to call it, movement, but at the same time try to slap it down with the more authoritarian, even militaristic attitude. Yeah, I mean, it... It's for it is too, too triumphalist for my taste. How do you mean for Star Trek? 
Well, it's the the attitude of the attitude, the um, the dismissiveness, like you say. Um, oh, right. But um, yeah, needed 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 something, but uh, that'd be a lot to ask, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's a as we noted before in fifty three minutes. Uh, there's only so much you can tackle, and even that you can't really tackle in any depth. Well, the parts of this episode that I remember best from from childhood are, of course, all the the fun of you know Cock, uh, Spock and McCoy out of character, or you know, especially especially yeah. McCoy, McCoy is really fun too. And, and let's not let's not forget the great transporter room scene where Kirk has oh, to provoke yeah. Spock. That's <laughs> classic. <laughs> I mean that that's that's maybe one of yeah. one of the high points. <laughs> when when so. Kirk calls Spock an elf with right. hyperactive. The, the, I mean, the, the, there's so many good lines in, yeah, in that episode. Definitely. <laughs> uh, race of traitors. Right. <laughs> well, for the both of the brig, who's going to build things, the It's so funny. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Right, and, and right next to the dog face boy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I still I, I just laugh at that. It's it's great. <laughs> You know, uh, you you were um, talking about comparing this to the the, the naked time, but uh, it can also be compared to by any other name, and uh, especially now that I think of it, um, you know, and by any other name, there's that very uh, sharp shift around halfway, two thirds through the episode, where it becomes almost well, not quite farcical, but Oh, the, um, the the tone shifts. Yeah, and when, when like you know, a crewman is killed, and there there are these aliens that can't overpower. It's very very somber, and defeatist, and 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 then it gets silly. Yeah, the the shift in tone is not as pronounced in this side of paradise, but it, it it still does that because you know once they, well, it actually begins with Kurt taunting Spock, because even though that's uh. A serious fight scene it's also really quite comical too and then once they get that subsonic transmitter going then you know it's kind of a i won't say keystone cops but you know it edges toward that kind of uh almost a kind of vaudeville yeah it gets slapsticky and and that's that's maybe why the spock the spock's last line is is so well placed because it it, it just gives you a bit of the seriousness back yeah, and uh, after all, all, all the silly stuff of, oh, let's make everybody pissed off so they snap out of it. Yeah, right. well, and you know, uh, as going out of orbit lines or show ending lines, uh, that one actually ranks right up there with uh, City on the Edge of Forever. It is a good, yeah, it, it, I I agree with that. Yeah, I'd agree too. It's a high bar. Pretty profound. Yeah. What did you guys think of uh, Jill Ireland? In this, we we can also tie it in with some uh, misogyny corner if you like. This is the only thing I remember seeing Jill Ireland is she died pretty young too, but um, I thought she uh, did a credible job acting the the part. Uh, not Academy Award uh, mm-hmm. caliber performance, but did, did um, you did you buy that that the character was somebody that Spock would have associated with at a younger? Time? Well, the the impression that I got was that 
she pursued him and he rebuffed her. Yeah, I mean, you could also argue that the until the very end of the episode, you don't see her not under the influence. Yeah. that That's probably being fair. Yeah. Um, I, I, I also get, besides the sledgehammer musical cues, the... Uh, the the soft focus lenses and uh, things like that when when she is in frame, again it's nothing new for for that era or older films. But it's very that, noticeable. That, 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 yeah, it's, sorry. it's really noticeable on the uh, on the high def versions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's and very it, distracting. It, 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 yeah, it's very jarring. And uh, you know, interestingly though, in the transporter room at the end, when she loses the the spores influence. They film her differently. They don't have that very soft, almost glowing lighting, uh, and the you know the diffuse filter and things like that. It's, yeah, uh, her her hair kind of is lit up from behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, I think that's a, like an old movie technique of of more glamorizing. Well, actresses. yeah. Yeah, but my point is that they stopped doing that when she was in the transporter room. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah, her face looks different. There's less soft focus, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, it got, shit got real. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> Do you guys have anything else on this one? I can't think of anything. I mean, the plant, it's a minor thing. The plants look awfully fake to me, but they they kind of always did, I think, even... Maybe it's the way that they kind of yeah. they move when they're about to spore you. Yeah, and the music is terrible too. Yeah, um, I mean that, that's that's really but, silly. Like I guess it's like, a minor thing. What's up with the? You want to check out these plants, yeah. man? <laughs> Come on, man. So that's another way to read it, I guess. Right? It's the. Yeah. It's about weed. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure. It's that's actually it's those, probably a more more likely the, these plants, man. <laughs> way check out these weeds. It. Hey, dude. Yeah. Check out. You gotta check out these plants. <laughs> All they needed was a bong. Cautionary tale. Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. <sighs> well, let's pass legalization of spores. Yeah. Spore hits for Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, but overall, I think a strong episode. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very striking. It was one of the earlier, uh, well, I guess this was mid-season, mm-hmm. uh, first season, so stands to reason that it would be good. And what do you think is... to counteract Paradise, Jim Who wants to counteract, exactly. Yeah. What do you think is the uh, significance of the title, This Side of Paradise, which is the name of F. Scott Fitzgerald's first novel, but I'm just curious what you guys think is the significance of it. Well, I wonder if it was hearkening back to Fitzgerald's novel. Yeah. Which I'm not um, really familiar with. It's, it's no. about his undergraduate days at Princeton. which I, I guess it mean, he's talking about how his, he was young and idealistic during those days. So it's on. Well, I, I think for the purposes of this episode, it was simply talking about both sides. Well, the duality of you know any kind of situation that you would label paradise yes you've got paradise but it's at this cost good point um i'd agree with that um somebody's being clever <laughs> yeah <laughs> literary they want to find it yeah they like, like we're, we're gonna make this episode blah 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 hmm why don't we call it this <laughs> yes all right guys that's okay. good I like that one um so we have one episode left wow of our original run 
So do you think we'll actually finish it before next year? We'll see. Uh, 